The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP, helping you to run simple. Host and moderator Bonnie D. Graham talks with the experts about how game-changing technologies can help you achieve financial excellence for your company. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, I promise you are in the right place. Today's buzz, I can see clearly now. No, I'm not going to sing it. Relax. Let's get started. In its longtime traditional role as the steward of the business, of the enterprise, of the company, of the organization, finance could only make recommendations to the business after month end, after month end was closed based on past results. So looking back over its shoulder changes everything today because they have technology that provides real-time insights into finance and operations. What does this mean? This means the office of the CFO can now look ahead and guide its constituents, colleagues in a collaborative way to navigate what we'll call a true course through any economic climate. And you know we have a very dynamic, very, very dynamic climate right now with a lot of changes and a lot of question marks ahead. How does this all work? Well, finance can harness interpretation and predictive analysis to help the company focus on strategic goals. That means becoming an advisor to the business. That means becoming a trusted advisor to the business. We have a panel of three experts. Let me get started with our first panelist. Pleased to welcome newcomer to Game Changers Radio, Nilly Asades, E-S-S-A-I-D-E-S. She is Director of the Financial Planning and Analysis Practice at the Association for Finance Professionals. And Nilia sent me an interesting quote from Vincent Van Gogh. Anybody who's too young to know who Van Gogh was, although I can't imagine anybody would be, he was a Dutch post-impressionist painter whose work had far-reaching influence on 20th century art. He lived from 1853 to 1890. He did portraits, self-portraits, landscapes, still lifes, olive trees, and cypresses, wheat fields, and sunflowers. And critics largely ignored his work until after his presumed suicide in 1890. We'll just stop there. Here is the quote. Great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Vincent Van Gogh. Nilly Asades, how are you? I'm good, Bonnie. Thank you. Thanks Very for joining me. We are delighted. Nilly, where are you calling from? I'm calling from south of Salem, Oregon. Oh, my goodness. I lived in Eugene for 10 years. I think you and I discovered that when we had our prep call. So, Nilly, tell me something. Let's get down to business here. Vincent Van Gogh, are you a big follower? Are you a collector of his art? And how did you pick this quote for our topic today, talking about finance and predictive analytics and interpretation? I wish I was a big collector. That would have been very nice. Uh, I'm a big fan, and I picked the, the quote because I thought it would be great to bring some art into this discussion um, a lot of times we slip into talking about finance as a subject of numbers and data. And I think today uh, finance is a lot more than just numbers and data. 
to be able to be a trusted advisor to the business, you've got to be able to tell stories, and you tell stories using visuals. Um, and I think it's a lot about connecting the dots, uh, the dots being data points in many cases, yes, hundreds, thousands, millions of them, and you've got to draw a picture of the future using those little dots, little pieces of information, bringing them all together. So in the past, finance was looking at small pieces of data, looking backwards, as you were saying in your introduction, mm-hmm. which I think is very right. Um, in the future, it's going to look forward and use much more expansive sets of data, pull them together into predictive analytics models. And the idea behind all this is to draw a picture for management, for business leaders, so they can chart a better future, a better picture for the future, and be able to figure out what to do in this future um, and kind of strive for better, best performance. The other reason I like the quote, it's because it's about bringing together a bunch of disparate pieces into a whole. Um, and I think, while well, in the past, finance did its own planning, business did its own planning, marketing, sales, everybody did their own planning in isolation. Going forward, all these things need to be synced up together so mm-hmm. that companies can plan better, be more agile in their planning, because the business environment, as you said, very dynamic, very fast-changing. Doing things in isolation is just not going to work. Nilly, thank you. Very interesting. And I'm, I'm so intrigued you mentioned connecting the dots. And that makes me think of another very world-famous painter, Seurat, Georges Seurat, French. And uh, I think he had a, a version of painting his genre, if you will, was called uh, pointillism, if I'm correct. And there were pictures of people in the park in France, and all of the little dots came together. So interesting, your your concept of connecting the dots from the finance perspective. Nilly, I don't know if anybody has ever thought of world-famous artists and finance. Do you ever think we anybody has put those together in the same sentence before our conversation today? I don't think so, but I think increasingly (laughs) people are talking about visualization. um, And I think, yeah, pointillism is a great visual. I thought about the same thing when I was um, thinking about the topic. I thought maybe I should have picked a pointillist rather than (laughs) um, an impressionist. But, yeah, I think that's that's a very good thought. Thank you for that. Well, thank you for sparking that thought. I appreciate it. We're all artsy here on the show today. And by the way, our listeners, you're listening to Financial Excellence with Game Changers. No, this is not a show about art. This is a show about finance. And maybe we can help you find a more artful way to approach your profession if you're in the Office of Finance, the Office of the CFO. So let's introduce, thank you, Nilly, so much pleasure to have you on with us. And let's introduce our second panelist. He is Shin Sawney. I'm going to spell that for all of you. Shin is S-H-I-N. And just the way it sounds, his last name is a little interesting, S-A-W-H-N-E-Y. He can tell us the derivation. He's a director and principal consultant at Capgemini UK, and Shin currently leads the SAP EPM Solutions practice. Shin has picked a, a rather well-known quote from Peter Drucker. And if those of you out there are too young to know who Peter Drucker is, he lived from 1909 to 2005, so he didn't leave us too long ago. An Austrian-born American management consultant, educator, and author. And those of you who have an HR department or human resources or human uh, human capital people in your company, uh, interesting, Drucker is a leader in the development of management education, and he invented management by objective and self-control. So if you don't like MBOs, you can blame Peter Drucker. He has been described as the founder of modern management. And here is the quote Shin has selected. Efficiency is doing things right. Effectiveness is doing the right things. 
Shin Sani. Welcome. How are you today, Shin? I'm very well, Bonnie. Thank you so much for inviting me to be part of the show. We are delighted. Talk to me. Are you a big Drucker follower, a Drucker fan, a Druckerite, perhaps? And how yeah, did you pick well, that quote for today? Yeah, so I'm thinking back to my time at university where you study management and you pick up lots of lots of quotes to fill into your assignments and your essays. <laughs> and uh, this is one that stuck with me. Um, I like Drucker's quotes because actually he comes up some very simple yet actually thought-provoking statements. Um, and, and this is simplicity itself. Um, and I think in terms of the topic we're talking about, it's a great adage uh, that finance will do well to bear in mind as they navigate that course through today's reality and, more importantly, through tomorrow's opportunity. So tell me something about Peter Drucker. Um, tell me, would he be pleased to know that he was being talked about in the, in the, with the reference point, in of looking forward rather than looking backward, of predicting rather than just doing spreadsheets and sitting there, what we used to think of the finance people in the basement with the eye shade, remember, and the little green lamp toiling away in the basement on spreadsheets and post looking back over your shoulder reports. Would Drucker, if he was alive today, say, Shin, it's wonderful that you brought me onto this radio show and wonderful we're talking about forward looking for finance, driving finance transformation. What do you think he would say? Yeah, well, I'd hope he'd, I'd hope he'd say that we are thinking the right way. And, you know, you've just said it there. For too long, finance has been thinking themselves, you know, in the back office, or it's been thought of as the back office. And actually, I think it needs to be start thinking itself more as part of the front office um, and really using technology to help break that mold. Mm-hmm. Thank you. So we're talking about a mindset. So we've got an artful uh, an artful shading here, if you will, from Nilly, and then we have a little bit of, yes, I think we're going in the right direction and making this almost poetic, talking about finance. Never thought this would happen. Let me welcome my third panelist. He is David Ormerod, O-R-M-E-R-O-D, business develop, development expert in the SAP EMEA Center of Excellence for Finance. And David has selected a quote from John F. Kennedy. We have a lot of JF. K quotes on the show. This one is very interesting and, and I think extremely timely and appropriate for our topic. And by the way, those of you who are not old enough to remember, JFK was the 35th president of the U.S. and at age 43, he became the youngest man and the first Roman Catholic to hold that office. He was assassinated in 1963 and anybody in my age range, and I am a boomer, we remember exactly where we were what we were doing at the moment where the news came across that he had been shot. So just uh, a point in history there. But this particular quote David has selected is from JFK's State of the Union address, January 11, 1962. And here's the quote. The time to repair the roof is when the sun is shining. Beautiful quote. David, welcome. How are you today, David? I'm great, Bonnie. And how are you? I'm well. I love the quote. Are you a big follower and fan of John F. Kennedy, or did you just happen to come across this quote for our show today, David? No, no. I've always been interested in in JFK. I think he was a a brilliant man. He was a war hero, uh, someone with an amazing gift for a phrase. You know, I think people mm-hmm. will remember the if, if they don't remember him personally. And 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 actually, I was born during his tenure as. President, so I'm not quite old enough to remember where I was uh, when he was assassinated, <laughs> okay. but uh, but I do go, I do, I do overlap. Uh, just um, I think many of us will remember, that, you know, his visit to Berlin and his famous 
uh, statement. Yes. You know, uh, I am I am a Berliner. Um, yes, Bayern a you know, Berliner, and, uh, right? Yeah, and uh, although he said it in German, and I'm, I'm going to hesitate from trying to say it in German because my, my 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 languages aren't very aren't very good. So, but uh, but I think he was a man with a great gift for a phrase, um, and I think that this this actually also encapsulates something of my worldview that it is about you know preparing it's about anticipating the future uh, i think there's an there's an interesting implication in the the quote the time to repair the roof is when the sun is shining because there's a kind of implication that someone is checking the roof right mm-hmm. that you're not just waiting for it to rain to see if there are any holes because clearly if you're going to repair the roof when the sun is shining, the implication is that you're also taking advantage of the good times to just check the roof, you know, see if there are any problems. And and for me, that speaks of, of real time because mm-hmm. you find the problem, you, know, you fix the problem. It's not about waiting. It's about addressing the issues as they come up. So very much in in the moment, in, in real time. And of course, it's, it's actually harder to fix the roof when it's raining. Now, mm-hmm. I'm not sure whether John F. Kennedy meant all this by his statement, but, but for me, it, it speaks very much to uh, the business environment where if you wait until the issue happens, you're probably going to find yourself with lots of workarounds, lots of temporary fixes. Ultimately, uh, it's much more expensive to fix the roof uh, once it started raining. So not only... Uh, you know, is, is it good to take advantage of the sunny days to fix the roof? But you're also ultimately saving time, effort, and, and money. Very interesting. And David, I'm going to add one more shading to that, borrowing a little bit of an art uh, art phrase from when we were discussing with Nilly uh, the Van Gogh quote. Thinking about it, the time to repair the roof is when the sun is shining. You are predicting, I'm going back to my opening, you're looking forward because you know, you know it's going to rain again. You simply know that. So in a way, that's a little bit of predictive analytics, right? Predictive analysis, looking forward, saying, well, the sun's shining now, but we know darn well, eventually it's going to rain. So even above and beyond what you're saying about it's cheaper to fix it when it's, and it's less damage to fix it when the sun is shining because nothing is going to get ruined inside of the structure the roof is protecting. You're saying, well, chances are we can predict eventually it's going to rain. Any thoughts on that, David, or am I taking this too far? No, I think, I think you're spot on. Of course, we, we wouldn't need a roof if we didn't expect it to rain at, at some point. And, and, you know, the implication is that, yes, those rainy days will come. I think, you know, the challenge I find in a lot of businesses is that um, they're just kind of too busy very often uh, trying to cope with, uh, daily challenges to fix the things that will matter in the future, and uh, you know what we see in increasingly. I think I think uh, you know your opening comments uh, r- related to this: a world where where challenges, issues, you know, the roof will fall on our heads, <laughs> the rain will definitely come, and uh, you know, uh, cu- currencies will devalue, commodity prices will shoot up, commodity prices will shoot down. Uh, yeah. Uh, Countries, countries will will change their laws. You know, uh, legal structures will will change. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. all those challenges will come, and they seem to be coming with increasing rapidity. So, absolutely, uh, you know, it will rain. Uh, you can you can guarantee that. Uh, you, and uh, 
So yes, you're right. It's about it's about forecasting. It's about real time, and it's about actually saving money by fixing yes. it when it's optimal and not not waiting. I don't know if you've ever tried to fix a flat roof when it's been raining. I've I've had that experience in my time. I try not to. <laughs> I try right. not to. I also so, uh, try not to fix a flat tire no, when it's raining no. either. <laughs> Get someone else to fix it when the sun is shining. That's my that's Absolutely. My and David, I looked up the quote. Uh, I found a, a link to, not WikiQuote, but a related website called Philosoblog, P-H-I-L-O-S-I-B-L-O-G. I'm not sure who owns this blog, but they are looking into this JFK quote, the time to repair a roof is when the sun is shining. And they say that it probably goes way back to antiquity when to fix a roof and the wisdom or lack thereof and waiting until it's raining again before getting busy is part of old times when they had an ancient thatched roof or a medieval roof of slate or even a modern roof of tile and shingle. So apparently this is a old, old quote JFK was referencing back to times that probably because a lot of people would get it very quickly. David, thank you for the discussion about that. We're going to go now to our little segment called What's in Your Cup Today? If you're drinking something interesting, I'd love to know about it. If not, what would you rather be drinking or what are you planning? to drink after the show. Let's go back to Nilly Mercedes. And Nilly, you tr- you trained me well. You said your last name rhymes with Mercedes. And I, I just take a deep breath before I say, Nilly, <gasps> Mercedes, I got it. I got it. So Nilly, what are you drinking today or what are you thinking about? Well, first of all, uh, you, you did a really good job. And Mercedes is a Greek name, even though I'm Israeli. My husband is, is part Greek, so that's the origin of the name. Um, it's funny that we're talking about rain. I live, as, as I said, in the Pacific Northwest, and you don't have to have a very good predictive model where <laughs> I am right. to know it's going to rain. Um, it rains all the time, and if it's not raining right now, but we definitely have to fix our roof. Um, before it rains, and it has to be done in the two months where it doesn't rain, or, or it's quite messy. Um, so what am, what am I drinking? I usually drink, I have to make a choice in the morning. I drink one of two things, either a vanilla chai or a latte, a vanilla latte, and obviously I like vanilla. But um, I kind of plan it based on my day. If I have a day where I can stop, step back and kind of contemplate or think strategically, I try and have chai. Because tea is, <clears throat> excuse me, a little bit less, um, kind of makes me less jittery. Um, and if not, if I have to get as many things off my checklist as I can, I drink a latte. And we know in finance, most days are getting as many things as you can off the checklist. So I drink a lot more coffee than tea. But today, I thought I'll drink tea. So I have tea in my cup so I can step back and think a little bit more strategically about what's going on in the finance market, what's going on in terms of what financial executive the CFO office needs to do. Although I have a feeling that at the end of the show, I'm going to have to have a latte. (laughs) Well, we give you permission to do that. By the way, I lived in Eugene, Oregon for about 10 years, and I know there were some uh, off-color remarks we had on T-shirts and sweatshirts and and umbrellas, but you just gave up on on looking for a good hair day because it just rained all the time. So uh, what did they they said? Skip the suntan lotion if you live in that part of the world and get petroleum jelly so you don't rust. That apparently was... Is what the Californians were saying about us. I'm just going to let that sit on the table. Thank you, Nilly. And let's turn to Shin Sawney. Shin, where are you calling from? If I didn't ask you already, it's been so long since we started the show. And what are you drinking or what are you planning to drink, Shin? 
Well, Bonnie, I'm in Capgemini's new London offices, which are in Canary Wharf, uh, which is London's premier financial centre. I'm sitting on the 25th floor. I've got a great view of the east end of London and the River Thames, and I can see the London City Airport runway in the distance. Um, it's only the second time in, my, in these offices, um, and with the sun shining here in London, uh, I could spend all day admiring the view. Uh, sadly, my boss probably wouldn't like me doing that. Um, and in my cup, well, in my cup, what would you expect, Bonnie? I'm English. Um, oh, come so on, it's tea, 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 about, right? Yeah, yeah, it is tea indeed. But let me add a little bit of a twist here, Bonnie. Um, whilst I'm born and raised in England, uh, uh, Lily was talking about our origin. Well, my origin and background is from India. So my tea contains something called masala, which makes it a masala chai, uh, chai being the Indian word for tea. Um, and you may think that the English like their tea, but let me tell you a little fact I found the other day, which I thought was really interesting. Um, in India, there's an estimated half a billion cups of masala chai drunk every day in, in the morning. Wow, wow. 0.5 billion cups in billion. India. And that's just the morning, let alone the, the six or seven that people have during the day. And what does it taste like? What does it taste like? So it's a bit spicy. So what you do is you put your tea, you put some cloves, some cinnamon, some cardamom pods, uh, which will crush together to make the masala. And it's, uh, you know, it's just something I've been born and brought up with. And uh, that's what I, I, uh, I, I take when, uh, when I can get it. Wow, very interesting. Thank you very much. And I don't want to put any pressure on David Ormarad, our SAP colleague on the show today, but we've had some very interesting drinks already here. David, so take your chances. What are you drinking today? Yeah, I'm feeling a little intimidated, Bonnie. Uh, and and <laughs> just, to, just to mention, I'm also uh, uh, calling in from the UK today, um, but I'm actually calling from my home office, which is uh, in uh, rural Hampshire, south of London. I'm actually, I actually live on the coast here, so a very, very nice part of the world. And, uh, well, I'm, I'm very typically English, uh, so, yes, I, you know, I had that challenge because uh, I'm at home, so it's, it's heading up towards half past five in the afternoon, so it, it would be tempting to have uh, made a gin and tonic, but it's just a little early uh, to, be, uh, to be starting on, on the gin. So I'm also drinking tea, but... but uh, this is uh, this is slightly different because I, I actually uh, my wife and I drink uh, a tea from South Africa called Redbush mm-hmm. or uh, Rooibos as Rooibos, right? South African yes. friends will will pronounce it, and uh, mainly because uh, some years ago we had South African neighbours who introduced us to it, but. I also have the the good fortune in my role to travel quite widely, not just in Europe, but also in Africa and in the Middle East. And I go down to uh, South Africa probably four or five times a year. And I very much enjoy the fact that when I'm down there, I drink the native tea, uh, which is rooibos. Very nice. I just bought some rooibos tea from something like Celestial Seasonings uh, in a little box here in New York in my local grocery store, and I haven't tried it yet, but I will let you know what I think of it. Thank you very much. You stepped up to the challenge, David. You all had very, very interesting drinks, and you've all deserved and earned a break. So we're going to take a quick 60-second break, during which Nilly and I are going to have an off-air conversation about where, in her notes she sent me before the show, where we're going to start the roundtable conversation. So I'm 
I'm going to say to everyone, our topic today is if you haven't guessed real-time insights, for goodness sake, if the roof is broken, fix it, because today is a sunny day, I think everywhere in the world, quoting JFK, real-time insights, are they really driving finance transformation? I think the panel will all say yes, but we're going to dive a little deeper into the topic. So we're talking with Nilly Asades at the... Association for Financial Financial Professionals. I'm stumbling over a company. There we go. AFP. We're talking to Shin Sawney at Capgemini UK. That's easier to say. And David Ormerod at SAP. I'm Bonnie D. Graham drinking a cup of cool, clear, filtered Brita water with a pink straw because it's sunny today. Yay! The rain did come yesterday all day and all night. And now it's a beautiful day. So I'm going to climb up on the roof after the show and see if there's anything that needs to be repaired. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that that dial, Michael, out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Isn't it time for you to transform your finance organization? SAP is leading the way with groundbreaking technology to help finance professionals transform finance. S4 HANA Finance, powered by SAP, is part of SAP S4 HANA, the next generation business suite. SAP S4 HANA Finance draws upon innovative in-memory mobile and cloud technologies to deliver one common secure view of all your information across finance. This gives you instant insight to drive enterprise-wide strategic value. Learn more about SAP S4 HANA Finance at SAP.com. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. Welcome back to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Comments, questions, send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the show at hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to financial excellence with Game Changers. That's exactly what we're going to do, Financial Excellence with Game Changers. And by the way, this is Season 5, if you're keeping track. A shout-out to Chris Grundy at SAP and his wonderful team of merry radio makers who come up with great topics. And obviously, as we are hearing today, a wonderful panel of thought leaders from around the world. So Nilly Asades at the Association for Finance Professionals is going to help me start the roundtable. And Nilly, I'm looking at your notes, and here's what you sent me before the show. We agreed off air. It is a great place to start. You say, the global, increasingly volatile business environment has put pressure on FP&A, that's financial planning and analysis, to become more proactive and agile. In this environment, traditional budgeting and forecasting processes are becoming irrelevant. That sounds very provocative to me, Nelly. Why don't you expand it, and then we'll invite Shin and David to chime in. Go ahead. Sure. So... What I was getting at is that, and sort of to provide, I think, broader context for this entire conversation, is the fact that things are changing faster. The velocity of change is also um, becoming more intense. We do a survey at AFP every year. We call it the AFP Risk Survey um, in in collaboration with Oliver Weinman. And the latest survey for 2016 showed that 90% of companies face the same or more risk today than they did three years ago. And over half of them 
say that the risk they face is actually higher. Um, what are some of those risks? The globalization and the digitalization of the economy. Uh, they're facing increased competition. There's volatility, as you were saying in your opening comments. There's volatility in prices, in financial markets, in regulatory environments, and geopolitical, um, in geopolitical forces. Um, in fact, half of them said they're gonna, it's gonna get even harder to forecast and analyze risk over the next three years. So what does that mean for finance, for the office of the CFO, for SPNA groups? They have to rely not just on fresh data, um, they can't look backwards, right? They have to rely on fresh data and techniques such as driver-based modeling and rolling forecasting to look forward because they need to navigate a much more complex set of drivers and information. Unlike some static approaches, they have to look forward and use past and real-time information to figure out what's happened, what's happening, and what's likely to happen. So they can update the view of the budget and reflect the changing economic and market conditions. So things like creating a budget and sealing it and putting it in the drawer and forgetting about it are just not going to work. We all know that budgets become outdated the day after they're created. So companies are looking for new ways um, and using new data to create new ways, to create different ways of looking at the future so they can chart a new course. There's no way you can just lay a plan and leave it where it was um, and expect that things won't change and you can achieve best performance by creating a plan that was good 12 months ago. Thank you, Nilly. Very, very interesting comments, and there are a lot of provocative thoughts. Let's get Shin Sonia Capgemini UK to chime in. Shin, what do you think? Yeah, I, I kind of kind of agree there with, with Nilly. The, the, you know, the, the days where you had a separate budget and forecast, um, and you know the budget being out of date straight away, are, are I think gone. You know, surely the budget should just be a snapshot of the rolling forecast at a point in time. Um, because it's got to have the right value for for the business. So I, you know, I absolutely agree. The pace of change, the need to be able to react quickly um, to changing environments, is all driving you know your outdated processes uh, in in finance on the, on the especially on the FBNA side, becoming things that you know you can no longer do. And those who, who still think that they can do it, well, you know, the competitive environment is such that let's see how long people are around for. Hmm. Interesting. David Ormerod, thoughts? Agree, disagree? Well, I think it's important to realize that you know, people have, finance has wanted to do things differently for a long time. Uh, you know, I, I can remember working with a, a global oil company uh, back in the 1990s where we were trying to do forecasts of daily cash flows. But yeah, at the time, yeah, the best we could do was to load the numbers into Excel and literally, mm-hmm. you know, update our spreadsheets on a daily basis, and it, it, it was just a there was just a huge overhead. So I think people, yeah, finances wanted to do things better for a long time, but the technology has simply not been there to support it. And I think in many areas, yeah, finance has perhaps given up, or or finance has tried. Mm. And, and, and decided it is simply too hard. So, so on the, you know, so yes, I I I, I think I, you know, I agree with both Nilly and Shin. But I think we, you know, in many cases, my you know, the customers I speak to have have had aspirations to do things better. Very often, they've been they've been beaten down by the, the failure of technology. And I think what's changing now is that technology 
is is getting up to speed. Technology is a lot better. And so I think finance can sort of go back to those dreams of the, <laughs> that we had 20 years ago of being able to do things better and start to say, yes, actually, maybe we should go back and revisit our aspirations to do things in a more dynamic way, to take more advantage of, of real-time data, um, to, to project into the future. Again, I remember working with a, lot, uh, a, a big telco here in the UK. We were trying to anticipate revenues by, with forecasting technology. But again, it was a, you know, the overhead of managing that was, was enormous. And you know, the business had to say, no, we, we just can't afford to do this. We'll, we'll go back to a, an old and, and, and you know, a cheaper way of, of, of managing our, our planning and our budgeting process. Interesting. David and Shin and Nilly, I have a question for all three of you. We talk about finance, capital F, I-N-A-N-C-E, as though it's a disembodied something. There must be a heart beating in there. Who is finance today? And, and David, you talked about finance being frustrated and giving up and knowing they couldn't do what they wanted to do because of a lack of technology, a lack of either the existence of tools or the access to the tools they needed. So who is the face of finance today? If I can go around the table, David, let me start with you. Are these people who've been in the CFO office for 10, 15, 20 years? Are these millennials who love to crunch numbers and love the technical aspects today of the fun of crunching a lot of numbers really fast? Who is finance today, David? Well, I, I, think, I think finance is finance is often characterized as being old and, um, mm-hmm. you know, wedded to, uh, you know, um, uh, paper-based board reports. I, I think that's unfair. I think finance today is very aware of their, uh, the, the contribution they can make to the business in, in, in terms of uh, helping to direct the business forwards. Um, uh, you know, a, lot of, a lot of senior finance professionals are also MBAs. You know, they're, mm-hmm. very, they're very interested in developing and indeed many you know, senior finance professionals aspire to move into the CEO role. So okay. they, they are people who, who want to change the, the way their, their businesses work. But you know, I, think, I think there's often a lot of, uh, a lot of frustration or, uh, or perhaps resignation. You know, they, 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 they've, they've, sometimes they've tried these things. Um, they haven't been able to make them work. And they've kind of settled for second best, I guess. Hmm, interesting. Nilly, love to have your thoughts on that. Who is who is the face of finance today? Is it you? Is it Chin? Is it David? Is it somebody you know? Who is Who do we see when we see finance? I think the face of finance today is changing. Um, I don't think of it as sort of the, uh, and perhaps to, um, to the most recent point in terms of it being old, and I, I, I think it's a very different face today. I think the skill set of what finance professionals um um, must have um, is different today than it used to be. It used to be about numbers. It used to be about Excel spreadsheets and crunching numbers. But today it's a lot more about influencing skills. It's about collaborating with the business. Back to our Van Gogh comment um, and quote, it's a lot about visualization and it's about telling stories to senior management, to other business leaders and uh, making and, and kind of bringing them on board with the suggestions on how to do things better. It's about critical thinking. I just wrote a a series of articles about millennials in finance. There's a lot of them in there. They're um, coming in strong. They're going to be 
the majority of the workforce within uh, the next five to ten years. Yes. We have to recognize that they have a new set of skills. They're very technology savvy. They're very interested in analytics. They're very collaborative in nature. They want to work in groups. All that is changing the face of finance in ways that it that haven't happened before. So it's not just that the environment is changing externally, but finance itself is changing within it. Thank you, Nelly. Very thoughtful answer. Shin Sawney, love to have your POV on this, please. Who is it? So, you know, what? what's the words that typically used to be associated with finance? You know, they were reactive, backward-looking, insular. Um, and what's the words that are now and need to be associated with finance are more proactive, forward-looking and integrated. And integrated as part of a business. You know, as I said before, not just the back office. It's not that function. It's part and aside of the front office, actually helping the business, supporting the business, drive them forward to, to take those opportunities. So, you know, the business the business focus skills that uh, Nilly and David have both alluded to, I think, are becoming much more critical um, for, for, the, for the remit of the kind of thinking the, the, the finance has to do. It is a changing face, um, and it, it will continue to change, because they have to understand that it's actually, we aren't a function, we, without the business, we don't exist as a function. Um, and mm-hmm. we have to be uh, you know, a part of, uh, a partner to that business, not just a, a back office component of it. Thank you very much, all three of you, for entertaining and indulging my question. I appreciate it. didn't want to derail, but I thought it was important for us to talk to our listeners and tell them what the three of you as experts with a great point of view and great uh, visibility into the profession see. And now I'm, I'm going to move on to some notes from Shin Sonia, Capgemini UK. Shin, something in the middle of the notes you sent me struck me. I think it's time to talk about this. You say each organization has its own planning hierarchy, typically consisting of three level, strategic, tactical, and operational. So perhaps we could take a look at, at the face of what we've talked about, the forward-linking, forward-thinking, collaborative, proactive, tech-savvy, non-spreadsheet-chained person in finance. Are they required with those skill sets in all three levels of a typical planning hierarchy? Tell us, who, whose company would this typically be seen in? Well, I think it's seen in all companies. It's just the level of of detail and formality that exists. Um, and that, that's, you know, that level of strategic, you know, which you then take, you, you, you know, I've worked in many companies where they've got a strategic plan that's reviewed every year and then put back in the drawer. There's some objectives that come off the back of that. And then on operational level, people are planning, you know, the production or pl- planning components of the supply chain. And none of that is ever aligned. So how do we know? we're making the right decisions or making the right mix of resources that feed that top-level strategic plan um, if, if the bottom and the top are all disconnected. It, it's kind of a classic problem that's been there for years. But actually now, echoing some of David's points from earlier on, I, you see technology enabling that change and that ability to bring that, that data together um, really starting to, to drive forward. I, I've worked in a few organizations very recently where, you know, they could never do the kind of breadth and depth of planning that we're now enabling them to do um, using data that's already captured as part of their processes across the organization, but actually using it as part of the planning process and not just, well, it's too detailed, it's too difficult. 
let's 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 leave it and we'll just come up with a with us with our gut feel on what we should do. And that's got to change. It's it's about evidence based decision making and that needs the right data and with the right technology you can get wider, deeper scenarios than you could ever get before, which is all allowing and enabling you to bring together those three levels of strategic, tactical, and operation across an organization. Thank you very much. David, love to get your thoughts on what Shin just shared with us, please. Yeah, I think Shin makes an important point about, about levels. And, of course, yeah, it's not only the levels, it's also silos you know, across the organization. I mean, you know, generally, the operational environment is, is, a, is often seen as a separate uh, line of business to to finance, but but you know the, the the numbers have to go across. You know the money has to flow throughout the entire company, and I think you know finance sort of needs to needs to sort of say, well, you, you know we we are accountable to the business for reporting you know, how the money is 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 going, where the, you know, the cash flows, uh, you know where the revenue is coming from. You know, where the costs are going, and and they, I think they often, what well, I think there's often a failure to 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 create a global process owner to manage that process. I think finance has an opportunity to actually say, you know, we we want to take ownership of of the planning of the forecasting process across the organisation, and you know, to Shin's point. It's been very hard to do that up until now because the data has typically lived in lots of separate silos. So it's been managed locally and finance has kind of had to come along and ask for, could we have your outputs? Could we have your production plan? Could you let us have your sales plan? Or could we have the marketing plan? And then finance has tried to stitch those together uh, to, to cash up the plan, as, as uh, one of my colleagues uh, you know, sometimes says, it's a, it's a great expression. You know, all these plans have to be cashed up. And finance often does it in a kind of reactive way. Um, but I, I think there's an opportunity now because this data can be all gathered into one place. You know, we, we are at a stage where technology allows an organization to put all of that real-time information into one single data store that, that finance could, 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 should take ownership of it and define process owners. I mean, that's sometimes a question I ask customers. I say, you know, who owns your planning process? And you know, very often they don't have one. You know, it just happens in all the different silos. And that's not good enough for coping with the challenging world that increasingly companies operate in. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much, Nilly at the Association of Finance Professionals. What do you see? Agree or disagree with your co-panelist, Nilly? I agree, but I certainly agree that fi- and I don't disagree, but I have some some sort of additional points to make. I think that first of all, finance can certainly should certainly become sort of the hub for pulling together the different um stories, the different data points and and thinking up the strategic the tactical, the operational plan, uh, as well as the different planning activities, whether they're happening, demand planning, supply planning, financial planning, all of those things need to be put together. And technology allows us to do this much better than it was possible before. It wasn't possible before. Those things were sitting in silos, as David and Chin were saying. Um, now they can be pulled in together. But I think it also takes a commitment and a mindset shift as well as technology alone cannot do this. 
management needs to have a change in its focus and a commitment to bringing together and um, unifying those processes um, and putting, as as David was saying, and Shin was saying, there needs to be a process ownership um, change. There needs to be a sense uh, of collaboration between finance and the operations. So there are two things I think that finance must do to integrate those planning um, activities. It needs to collaborate better with the business partners, and then it needs to have the access to the data. There's no question um, that the first thing must happen for the companies to develop a co- is to develop a commitment to the process of syncing the various planning activities. I think without that commitment, the data is not going to um, the flow of data is not going to help. Mm, thank you. Shin, anything you want to add to this before I move on with one more topic from David before we go to our predictions? Well, I, th- I think uh, I think really make some uh, excellent build on, on what we've talked about. You know, the ownership, the, 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 the components to bring all this together are, are changing. And, and, you know, that's the, the key thing. Things have changed. Um, and, they, you know, finance has to understand that and embrace that um, to be able to drive themselves forward to become the support to the business that it needs to be. Thank you very much. To, I guess, Bonnie. Yes. Sorry, just finally, you know. Yeah. Finance has spent time on being more efficient, you know, taking time out of the process and, and, and focusing on, on those areas. But actually, doing the, the things that you've always done better is one aspect, but actually you now have got to start about what, what is more effective. And that comes back to my initial quote right at the beginning. Thank you very much, and I didn't mean to cut you off, and I'm glad you finished that comment. I want to squeeze in one more topic. I don't know if we've spent enough time on this. I'm sure it's come up in the conversation, but David, in my opening, I mentioned all of the different factors in the market and everything that that are basically sitting on top of the heads of finance professionals today, the volatility in the market and the regulations and competition and global globalness, if you will. So I'm looking at a note here from you, David, and you say tackling complexity is one of the biggest issues in finance today. So that seems to be like a, a good place to take the, the closing of our conversation. How? Is it a matter of having the right tech tools, having the right vision, the right interpretation, having the right proactivity, being collaborative enough? How can finance help to lead this tackling of complexity so that you don't have to make this remark in the future? David, thoughts? <laughs> Thank you, Bonnie. Well, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of external complexity that, that finance has to face, and, yeah, and and I think we all understand that. I think the point I was actually going to make there is that that some of the complexity is actually internal and is generated internally within organisations. Um, mm. You know, you know, be, for for all sorts of different reasons. You know, companies create multiple systems internally. Uh, the, you know, separate silos, perhaps there are political considerations, you know, who's funding it, it's going to be my system, not your system. And and then sometimes what happens is that the finance professional you know, gets very good at knowing where to get the information they need from, you know, which systems, how to align it, how to get the right report, they download data, they massage it together. And there's a risk, I think, that that the finance professional starts to see their value to the company in the way that they can manage all that data. They can, they can cope with the complexity. They don't, they don't think it's a good thing, but mm. their value is that they know their way around all of that internal complexity. And, 
And I think there might be a reluctance sometimes in finance to to realize that if we could get a, you know, if we get away from that complexity, you kind of lose you kind of lose some your value add, or you might lose what you think is your value add to the organization. I've often encountered this when we've been talking to a customer about you know replacing a very complex environment with something that we think is going to be a lot simpler, perhaps a, a self service environment. You know, imagine if the business mm-hmm. can get the financial reports they need quickly and easily. They don't kind of need finance to give them the data because what will have to happen then is finance will have to move on and become the people who can analyze that data. And I think this brings us back to to Nilly's point. You know, finance become the people who become experts at interpretation and analysis, not the people who are really good at spreadsheets and databases and joining stuff up and knowing which system they should go to. So it's, it's, it's more about, I think, for, for finance, it's more about a willingness to, 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 to see their roles evolving um, you know, and, and, taking, and, and taking advantage of the new technology. That means they don't have to have all that complexity. They can start contributing in a different way. Very interesting, the idea of the evolution and not wanting to be basically phased out. You're right, self-service. Hey, come here and punch in this and get your insights and your reports and your analytics. And who needs that guy who used to have an eye shade? And who cares? We can do it all ourselves right now. We don't have to wait for him at all. Very interesting observation, David. Thank you. I'm going to circle back to Nilly. Nilly, we are right now six minutes before the end of the show, and that means it's time to look into the crystal ball for our predictions round. So, Nilly, I'm just going to tell you that I still like the year 2020 just because it sounds kind of cool if you say it like Barbara Walters used to be, used to say a 2020, but we don't say that anymore, do we? <laughs> so I'm going to let you pick any time in the future. It could be tomorrow morning or, or tonight or it could be 20 years from now. Nilly Asades at the Asso- pra- well, let me see. Association for Financial Professionals. I still have trouble tripping over the tongue of that one. Your last name is easier for me to pronounce than, than your organization. <laughs> Nilly, forgive me. Nilly, I'm going to give you 60 seconds. How far in the future and what do you predict will change about this quest for driving finance transformation we've been discussing? Go ahead. I would just say AFP, by the way. It's a lot easier. Um, 2020 <laughs> is fine. So I think that things are not going to get easier. The risk, the financial market volatility, the competitiveness of the environment, all these will just get tougher and tougher as there's more digitalization of the economy. So CFOs, their teams will continue to face tough challenges. To remain Agile in this environment, finance will need to do two things. It will need to work more closely with business partners to sync up these planning processes, operational, strategic, tactical. All these things need to be working in unison, um, harmoniously, so that companies can navigate these tough waters. And the second thing they need to do is to access those points of information and simplify, um, simplify the systems, not see their value add, um, in trying to navigate the systems rather in putting the A back in FP&A, um, as we say. I like that. Put the A back in FP&A. It is being tweeted as we speak. Thank you, Nilly. And let's go to Shinsani at Capgemini US, uh, UK. Uh, well, maybe we're going to adopt okay. you, Shin. So, Shin, what do, you, what do you see in the future? How far in the future you are looking? 60 seconds. Predictions go, Shin. So, so- by 2020, I'd expect to see more companies adopting that integrated approach across the planning hierarchy. Um, and actually, I think the effectiveness of that planning process will become a 
key differentiator for organisations, which will be evidenced by their returns that they make. Um, Millie made the right point about the data, and, and David had as well. You know, the data is only going to increase. Um, so the emphasis on actually drawing out insights um, is going to be more key um, to those organisations that are going to be here in the future. Um, one other topic I'd like to pick up on in terms of prediction. I think yes. we talked about predictive, and I, I absolutely see that predictive will be playing a more important role. But in the immediate future, you know, I think there's certain industries that, that that's going to be more applicable to, um, where small changes make big differences to, to, to returns. Um, so I, I, I do see that that predictive side of not just creating the data or, or, or generating forecasts, but actually automating that process to create the forecast where, the, the, where people are actually just amending what's been created by technology and, and, and tweaking those numbers will become more important as we move towards 2020. Thank you very much. Thanks for that. And David Omarad, I can give you, oh, what have we got left? Exactly 60 seconds. Predictions, talk to me. Well, uh, when I think about my journey to work, you know, I, I, I use my, I'm allowed to say Google Maps, I expect I am. You, and and, it's, and I get can. real-time traffic updates, you know. So, so when I think about forecasting and planning my journey through a very complex, um, you know, set of roads. It takes me about an hour and a half sometimes to get to work. You know, I, I rely on that now. And that, you know, when you think about that five years ago, you couldn't have imagined that that would be possible, that I would be getting real-time updates that would allow me or allow Google Maps to continually forecast and reforecast and replan my journey to work. And, and I think that's going to be what the enterprise will look like. It used to be that success was about having a good business model. In 2020, I think it will be about being able to evolve and adapt your business model continuously in real time to cope with competitors, to cope with the challenges of the business environment. I think that will be the key uh, value add, which is, which is the analysis that, uh, that Nilly was talking about, I guess. Thank you very much. I want to thank my three panelists for just being wonderful thought leaders and communicators and collaborators and being so forward-thinking today. Nilly Asades at, I'm allowed to say AFP, I said it, Nilly, <laughs> and Chinsani, finally, Cap Gemini, and David Armorat at SAP. And that's it for our broadcast day. We did two shows already, and it's only 1 o'clock here in New York. I'll be back tomorrow with another live edition of Coffee Break with Game Changers, our flagship show. Shout-out to Michael and the Business Channel team at World Talk Radio and a shout out to our CFO Knowledge Tweeter. Thank you so much for doing that. I appreciate it. And here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? For goodness sake, go out and be a game changer today. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Financial Excellence with Game Changers presented by SAP, helping you to run simple. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to hashtag SAPRADIO and join host Bonnie D. Graham Tuesdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time here on the Business Channel, wishing you a game-changing week.